Lonely Monk Productions. I don't know if y'all have heard the track Pedestal by Yugen Blackrock yet, but yo. That's my joy. joy. What's good, friends and family, neighbors, near and far? Welcome to an all-new episode of the Yo, That's My John podcast. The podcast, website, brand, movement, way of life dedicated to the embrace and championing of your passions. I am your host, Nate Runkle, a.k.a. John Solo, a.k.a. John Penn, a.k.a. Dr. Johnny Fever. Rest in peace to the great Howard Hessman, a.k.a. Nate 3.0. Back at it again with yet another episode of the podcast. As always, I hope this podcast finds you all in good health and in good spirits. Coming up shortly, I talked to Eric Fawcett, Brent Paschke, and Christian Twig of the band Spy Mob. I was super excited to have this conversation with them, and I am equally excited to be able to share it with you guys today. That's coming up in a minute. Well, what's up? Well, I'm just trying to get caught up over here on my end before my beautiful girlfriend Katie and I take a much-needed vacation. And that trip won't interfere with the release schedule of the show, but between this week's episode and the one in two weeks... I will finally be venturing south for a Disney World excursion. But more so and more specifically, I am finally going to get to fly inside the Millennium fucking Falcon. And I am stoked. Those who know me know without saying that Star Wars has been a lifelong john for yours truly. And I have been drooling for the chance to get down to Orlando and check out Galaxy's Edge. And now it's going to happen. I can't freaking wait. But I'm getting ahead of myself. We got an episode to do here. And it's a very special one for me. You know, when I started this Yo, That's My John endeavor pre-podcast, pre-pandemic, the idea was to have a website where I could just bring attention to the things I love. And I sat down and I created a whole plethora of categories that I wanted to tackle. You know, things like Game Respect Game, where I examine songs that I may not like and I may never want to hear again, but respect as beautiful pieces of songwriting. You know, as an example, I believe the first entry was going to be Along December by The Counting Crows. I am never asking to hear that song ever in my life. But should it come on the radio, you can bet that I am going to na-na-na-na, yeah, right along with it. And I respect that. Or, you know, I had another section called I Made You a Mixtape, where I shared mixes and playlists that I threw together. And as a matter of fact, that one actually exists. And you can find it on the website right now if you visit www.yothatsmyjohn.com. But of course... You knew this. You know, in one of the sections I really wanted to roll out was a piece called Should Have Been Contenders. This was a section where I wanted to talk about bands or albums or songs that to me should have been way bigger than they ever were. You could even say that this was probably the birth of the jauntlet question, name an unappreciated John. You know, putting this together just now, I went to look at my original notes from the creation of the website, and there were five things listed on there, and one of them, one of the big ones, was the band Spy Mob. I have always respected them as brilliant musicians, and always felt that they should have been a household name. Their album Sitting Around Keeping Score, as I tell them in our conversation today, it lived in my CD player. It is, to me, a perfect album full of pure pop perfection. 
It's so tight and so pristine, and any chance I have ever had to bring them up in a conversation about music, I would do so on autopilot. So I saw that they had a Facebook page, and I just sent them a message and asked if they would have any interest in coming on the podcast and chatting with me. And I thought nothing of it, but almost immediately I heard back from them, and we set this up. I am still blown away that I got the opportunity to talk to these dudes. This is literally the dream I had for Yo, That's My John come to life. It's me talking to the people who have created art that has moved me and me being able to shine a spotlight on an act that I believe deserves their flowers. I am so happy to share this conversation with you today. Well, then why don't you do that, Nate? Sheesh, okay, okay. My guests today made a name for themselves in the Minneapolis music scene, crafting and perfecting their infectious grooves and tight, jazzy pop sensibilities. After being dropped by Epic Records, the band found themselves with their masters and no home. But an unlikely fan was starting his own label and wanted to bring them on board. That fan was Pharrell Williams, and that partnership led to my guests being invited to lay the live band backing tracks for the album In Search Of from the Neptune's NERD project. A relationship that took them around the world and saw them working with acts like Khalees, Snoop Dogg, Mike Doty, and others. Their album, Sitting Around Keeping Score, has found its way back into their ownership and has been remastered and re-released with three songs from the original sessions added back on. It can be found on all of the streaming services. Folks, it is my unbelievable honor to welcome to the show Eric Fawcett, Brent Paschke, and Christian Twig of the band Spy Mob. Ladies and gentlemen, I am joined today by the great Christian uh, Christian Twig, the great Eric Fawcett of the great Spy Mob. Ladies and gentlemen, help me welcome these guys onto Yo, That's My John. Um, so I am... Um, I have been a, an enormous fan of Spy Mob ever since um, I, I said this in the message I sent to you, but ever since the very first time I, I caught you guys, um, uh, and and it wasn't at the Sprite Liquid Mix Tour. What I first heard, and it wasn't live or anything, but was that, um, what was it, like MTV, You Hear It First or something like that, um, that they did. It was like, it was like you guys... I think they did one of my morning jacket. It, it was essentially like they did um, a a preview of a lot of bands who would come to be my favorite bands of all time, and uh, you guys were one of them. So when I heard that you guys were backing uh, NERD at the Sprite Liquid Mix Tour, I went and you know we were just kind of talking about it pre-roll, but um, you guys opened up that show. Um, so the fact that you guys are here on my show is like blowing me away because I've been I've been an enormous fan since since for early. So thank you for doing this. Well, thank you for your early support, Nathan. <laughs> and uh, I, I was looking for it. It must be in storage because I don't have any of my physical media anymore. But I, I still have the um, the uh, sitting around keeping score flat promo um disc uh that came in that little cardboard fold out and i was gonna bring it out oh yeah <laughs> um, i think but, i have a few in my basement where i can i can make sure you 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 get set up with one. Oh, that's awesome that's awesome yeah that was um that i got so much play out of that and i played it for so many of my friends um uh, as a matter of fact my friend randy who was the very first guest on this podcast wanted me to tell you guys that um 2040 is his john um, just mm. borrowing a borrowing a, a word from from the uh, show, but um, you know, tell tell everybody a little bit about yourself. We'll go one one. Um, Christian, tell everybody where you grew up. 
Uh, I grew up in a suburb of St. Paul in Minnesota. And um, so I actually got connected with the, the Spy Mob guys because I went to music school with Brent Paschke, the guitar player of Spy Mob. So uh, we got together um, and just had on a, uh, some different capacities in music and whatever. Um, and then when it, I mean, I'll, Eric, I'll let Eric tell the, the, the Spy Mob story, the early Spy Mob story. But uh, <clears throat> so when, uh, when, it, when uh, some stuff went down with Spy Mob, um brent gave me a call and just told me that th there was a spot opening for the uh for a bass player for spy mob so uh i like you nathan was a big fan so i was excited at the opportunity That's and awesome. so yeah we got together and jammed and uh it's it's uh and then it was history eric how about yourself where are you from i'm from ames iowa um it's a it's a wonderful wonderful place and right and smack dab in the middle of iowa and grew up with a bunch of older siblings and was surrounded by their music and um had a band from an early age and um decided when i went to college that music probably wasn't a responsible career so decided i was gonna pursue i was gonna be a professor in the history of science and had a really fun band in college, but it was just a hobby because taking it seriously wasn't responsible. I wanted to one day have a family and being a musician would certainly not be a responsible course of action. But I was on my way to Madison, Wisconsin to start grad school when John Osby, lead singer and songwriter of Spy Mob, whom I went to college with, played in a fun band with, played some songs for me over the phone and said, Hey, do you want to start a band? And I said, with you? Yes. So literally never made it to Madison, turned my car around, made some money in Ames, Iowa for a month, drove up to Minneapolis where John met me from California and we started Spy Mob and that was 1993. And by 1997, it took us four years to create a first full-length album we were very proud of it and sold dozens of copies um that was rough we, we we had higher hopes for it we still loved this record um and then started john started writing these really incredible tight pop songs that seemed like they might gel well with what was happening in the world and got ourselves some really wonderful representatives in the music industry and landed a deal with Epic, and this is going far beyond the scope, Nathan, of where are you from, Eric? Um, <laughs> since Twig teed up the story of how he ended the band, I wanted to get us there. Yeah, man. And we made a record that we loved for Epic Records. It was a really fun period of time because Epic and another label, RCA, were fighting over us and we felt really special and made a record that we loved and then epic made a determination that while they liked the music they weren't sure if it was marketable and there was an internal debate and in the end we were dropped from epic and you know when that kind of adversity hits a band then sometimes personnel changes happen and that happened with us too um everyone there was no love lost between the members who stayed and a member who left to pursue something even more courageous than being in a band. Um, but we were down a member and we were also down positive energy. 
Um, and in addition to being a super wonderful bass player, Twig as a human injected a kind of let's go kick ass energy into the band at a time when our energy and and uh, sense of purpose were sort of um, flagging a bit. We were still very much in it, but we didn't have that extra rocket fuel that a band needs to restart its engines. And Twig had that. And, um, and with Twig, the band really did have a, a second act in a way that we never could have anticipated. And it was after that, that we started, um, John continued to write songs. They weren't, um, the same as, as the other song, they didn't really gel with the material that he had written before. So we started in a new direction. And in the meantime, by a crazy coincidence of, of fate, um, this guy Pharrell Williams figured out who we were and got behind us. And um, the lineup of Spy Mob seemed to be really appropriate for what he, Pharrell and Chad and Shay were doing. And that was a, a great partnership. So I could keep talking about that, but I'll let you do the interview. <laughs> oh, no, that's incredible. And uh, I don't know if you guys saw or not, but uh, we were just joined by the great Brent Paskey. Oh, hey, what's up, guys? How you doing? Sorry about my uh, my tardiness today. No worries I'm, whatsoever. I, uh, I'm, 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 out, I'm out with the family, so I'm trying to I'm trying to adjust here. I'm in my car. Oh, no. Trying to do this with you guys. So. You're not driving, are you? No, I'm not driving. No. Okay, good, good, good. Well, welcome to Yo, That's My John. Thank you, man. Thanks for having us. Nate. Appreciate it. Absolutely. So what we, what we were just all speaking about, we were all just uh, kind of talking about the early days and uh, and where we were, where where everyone was from. Brent, tell everybody uh, where you grew up. Well, so I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in a little town called Grand Forks in North Dakota, which most people, when I say that, are like, man, I've never met anybody from North Dakota. <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty uh, desolate place. But yeah, I grew up in North Dakota, and then I made my way to Minneapolis after high school to go to music school, and that's where I met um, Eric and John and Twig, and that's where it all kind of began. That's so cool. Um, you know, Eric, you were just talking about kind of the uh, the epic deal. I feel like around that time, um, so we had a local band that made big um, and released a, an album through through Sony and all of that um, called Echolin. I'm not sure if you guys remember or are familiar. They were a prog rock band and they're a phenomenal um, band. But um, the same thing happened um, at the same time. You know, you you said you guys you guys had you know went down a member after that. Was was there a conversation about ending it at that point or or did you guys continue like was there no doubt that you wanted to continue on and bring somebody in to replace your fallen comrades i don't recall brent correct me if i'm wrong i don't recall any conversation well one i don't recall any conversation that that was a particular end point for us and something that we talked about from the very beginning um, Brent and John and I and uh, Brian, the whose name is now Dewan, uh from the very beginning, and then later with Twig, is that hey guys, we know we can end this thing anytime. Like there was all yeah. there was never this sense that like we have to do this thing that it will be good as long as it's good, and then it will be done. But 
I don't recall. I mean, in fact, when Epic dropped us, there was this like gut punch, I think that we all felt. But then this sense, I mean, we were on a plane to New York like the next week to communicate with our attorneys just saying, we are in this. We believe oh, in awesome. the record that we, that we just created and we intend to. To, to continue to do this. We flew out to Los Angeles and did more showcases for labels, which mm-hmm. a little bit with our tail between our legs, but um, I don't know if I can say that for everyone, but there was this sense that like, you know, despite the fact that Epic just dropped us, you know, we are here and we believe in what we're doing. Yeah. What, um, yeah. so, you know, not to, uh, I am ping ponging all over the place here. So I do apologize. But like, um, when you guys were, you know, kind of writing, uh, what, you know, um, I guess would be the core of, uh, on pilot mountain. And then, you know, the stuff that kind of continued into, uh, sitting around keeping score, like, um, was there an evolution of kind of, the 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 those songs or or did you have it as tight um because i'm not as familiar um with the with the early recordings of them um as i am as i was obsessed like i said with sitting around keeping score um could you could you feel like uh an evolution of those songs or did they just kind of like just get tighter i think they they evolved quite a bit i think right eric like I mean, we have like old demos, like there's the demo of, we have like the spy mob demos on, 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 um, on, I, on Apple music. I just listened to it the other day and it's like, it's so crazy too. I was, I was thinking Eric, as I heard it, it's like, dude, that, that early version of 2040 was really cool. Like we had this little, like, you know, I was back with an ADAT and stuff and we did this stuff in our, in our rehearsal room. And so there were, the songs were definitely taking shape but i guess it just they they changed i don't know they changed a bit when the producer came in you know for the yeah. when steve laroni came in he kind of tried to just make them a little bit more radio friendly and you know not not quite as we 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 would experiment quite a bit more and he kind of just kind of he'd call like cut the fat a bit you know so you know we have longer intros or longer the songs tend to be a little bit longer and a little bit you know just kind of going out and exploring different things. And he just wanted to kind of tighten them in a little bit. So what that's, I, that's Nathan, something, something that you said, Nathan caught my ear, which is you said, what happened between the evolution of, of pilot on pilot mountain and uh, sitting around keeping score. And what's interesting is that that's actually a reference to the same album at different points in the creation of it on pilot mountain was the first title that we were considering. I don't even remember how long we considered it. It ended up being called sitting around keeping score and the songs on there. Yes. A few of those songs had earlier versions Um we released an EP called Spy Mob Six Song EP, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which we recorded and produced ourselves along with Alex Awana, an engineer producer friend of ours. And a few of those songs got on uh, sitting around keeping score. The song on Pilot Mountain itself was actually finished while we were in the studio. It was the newest song along with a song called Exposed to Light that John had written um, and he finished both of those while we were in the studio 
um, on Pilot Mountain made the epic proposed epic release, which never came out then. Um, Exposed to Light didn't come out until we released it ourselves a few years ago. Um, but yeah, as Brent referenced, we do have an, uh, a recording called Basement Tapes, which has an early version of 2040. Um, didn't also, jumping in really quick, didn't, uh, didn't on thinking of someone else, the version that ended up on Sitting Around Keeping Score is the combination between the Spy Mob six song EP version mm-hmm. and the Stephen Laroni on Pilot Mountain version. Yeah, we, we were so happy with elements of the original version and also so happy with what ended up being the chorus that we re- revised when in process with Laroni that we actually edited those t- those two to- together. Uh, yeah. That was Eric's that was Eric's idea which was ironic. Eric brought that up was like how the heck is this going to work like but Eric was like let me just put them together in my computer and see if I can use the chorus that, you know, that Alex Awana produced and yeah, put it together with the verses of, I mean, the Steve I mean, Laroni one and it works. It's, it's funny. It's crazy. It sounds really dope. It's that's, that's why. What's, what's the duration of time between the two, the two pieces. Uh, we recorded the original version in 1998. Yeah. Like December 90. I think December 98 um, into January 99. And then the next version was like the year later. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It's an incredible piece of Frankenstein. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, Just spliced the two tracks. It was just the two tracks between them. Yeah. And it worked great. I mean, thank goodness we subscribed to A440 tuning and did (laughs) click tracks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Christian joining the band was was it was it difficult joining a band that uh, that you enjoyed so much as a, as a listener, or or did it come easy? Did you jump in seamlessly? Uh, well, <laughs> this is a, this is kind of funny because I mean I felt like um, like I didn't know what I didn't know. Um, I I felt like I kind of jumped in, and I think Eric was being a little kind, saying that I was like a a good bass player because i think uh by comparison uh these guys were uh far my superior in their music abilities and i i just i i came in there like a golden retriever (laughs) just uh, i think i just had i just had uh uh probably too much energy and they 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 really uh took me under their wing and and um and really helped me kind of hone my my groove, you know, they, they had a very particular pocket. And uh, so I went to, I really, they uh, kind of put me through boot camp um, to get, <laughs> to kind of, <laughs> to get up to speed and just where they were. And um, yeah, so it's kind of funny to look back at that. I mean, the thing, I, I mean, I have to just jump on that and say the thing about being in a band is that the word band implies that there is this sort of elastic tautness around this group. Like I think of it as a band and yeah, I think for sure there was, I mean, you don't just join a band and you have to learn the ropes of, you know, existing energies in that band. And I think for sure, like there were things that John and Brent and I had 
already honed over many, many years and feels that were important to us that were part of that sound and part of John's songs. For sure, there was an element of that. But again, the energy that we were getting from Twig and that, that what, what that was injecting into the band, you know, those, those sort of like contributions were going in all directions. Yeah, sure. yeah, I second, I second that totally. Like, yeah, because Twig, Twig came in and like, yeah, it is. It's it's tough to just jump into. We had Eric and John and I had spent so much time, you know, like cutting, you know, like learning together a lot. I mean, really, you know, like made a whole other album and you know, and but like, yeah, it's just it'd be it's hard for anybody. Like, it's like not fair to be like, oh, it's hard. It was no, it's like Twig came in and murdered it i mean killed it you know i listened back to like like some like live like nerd recordings recently and like i was just like i was like my god like we're just like after a while then we just had a thing you know it was like twig really got in there and yeah maybe took a little bit to just like kind of feel the groove out but like once it was there it was just like uh, undeniable like it's so yeah yeah i mean killed it (laughs) t-dub (laughs) <laughs> as a as a fan like uh you know uh, the the one thing that i um love about you guys and not just on album but you know having seen you live and whatnot um is just how tight you are and um you know like not just the songwriting as being tight but you guys like could create just such a beautiful pocket together so like to 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 hear that like you know uh that you know your your description of of a band like completely makes sense to me because you know and and i but i couldn't imagine trying to to enter that as a new guy so like it, it it's pretty amazing that you were able to kind of you know replace that voltron arm you know essentially and, mm-hmm. and create a new uh you know a new uh mech whatever they call the Voltron <laughs> my analogy. I had it there. It was so perfect. I'm going to just remember that name. Um, but okay. So, you know, so you're, you, you have good management and stuff like that. And they kind of get you in the ear of um, Pharrell and Chad. How did, how did that, uh, the jump to Star Trek happen? Can I take the, at least the front part of that guys? Yeah, I hit it. So, we were dropped from Epic, and at the time, um, Polly Anthony was heading up Epic, um, and um, we had a bit of a tough uh, negotiation after we were dropped. We could either take a big bunch of money that they owed us for the second record that they never released or made, or they could give us the record back. And our lawyers, who were our longtime greatest allies, uh, were able to negotiate the album. So we walked with the album. Um, We weren't happy. Our attorney, being a super pro, was able to navigate the tricky thing of maintaining good relationships with labels while also being a fierce advocate for the clients. And our attorney also happened to represent this kid named Pharrell Williams, who was this rising tastemaker in the industry. And a few months after, just a couple few months after we were dropped and went through our own process via our attorney, Tim, with Polly to get our record back, 
Polly invited Tim and his client Pharrell to the office to talk to Pharrell about uh, an imprint that Epic might have for the tastemaker, kingmaker Pharrell to cultivate new artists. And so Tim and Pharrell enter Polly's office and uh, Tim uh, sits in a corner and Pharrell says to Polly, Polly, I don't know if we're going to do business today or not, but I do want to tell you that my favorite band on earth is on Epic and that's a good place to start. And Polly said, oh my God, really Pharrell, who are you talking about? And Pharrell says, spy mob, of course. Now oh, Tim's no. sitting in the corner and Tim has no idea Pharrell has ever heard of his band <laughs> spy mob that most people hadn't heard of. And Polly shoots a glance at Tim like, did you just set me up? Yeah. And Pharrell sees what's going on and says, what's going on? And Tim says, never mind, Pharrell, I'll tell you later. Can we just get down to business here? And after that meeting, Tim calls me and says, you'll never guess who's a fan. And I said, who? Uh -huh. said Pharrell Williams. And I confessed, I kind of maybe have heard the name. <laughs> Tim's like, I'm a hustler, baby. And I'm like, okay. And Tim connects us and uh, the I'm elected to fly out a week later and I meet Pharrell and Pharrell says, Oh my God, I've loved you guys ever since a friend of mine at famous music publishing, who was our publisher, gave him a copy of our old six song EP that he hadn't heard the Epic recording. He's like, Oh, I can't get walking under green leaves out of my head. So that's how things, that's how things started. That's unbelievable. Like the, the, the amount of, chance in all of that like is Sorry. just that if you don't believe in in a higher something you know like <laughs> even if you just believe in coincidence that is phenomenal so so was it was it an easy jump for you guys like uh when they when they came knocking um to bring you in or or was there some kind of um was there any hesitation due to like the well what does he know about this kind of this the more of a rock era you know what um was there anything there or we I didn't think have much going on yeah yeah <laughs> yeah that makes sense. It makes sense. Brent, what were you going to say, Brent? No, but it was, we, there was a lot of mutual, like, love of, you know, like, Steve, like the kind of like the music we were listening to. And like, we really liked these interesting chord progressions. And, you know, Pharrell loved that. So that, I mean, I felt like that was easy. I, I was, I was super stoked, to be honest. When I first heard the NERD record, like, I was really, really excited. <laughs> to play on it you know but yeah that was, I, I felt like it, it felt easy and natural i mean and recording in search of felt it was amazing it was really fun and yeah it felt like working with yeah it felt pretty easy and natural right eric you feel the same back in that time it it never felt it in all the collaboration we did with those guys i think the feeling was that it was all very easy and organic. In fact, the process of recording in search of, which, which happened after John flew out to work with Khalees, Pharrell asked John to come out and sing on Mr. UFO Man on a Khalees album. John reported that that <clears throat> was 
fun and easy and Pharrell had a great time with John and Khalees had a great time. And then in June of what is, was it 2000? Um, I always get those years screwed up, but Pharrell's like, do you guys want to come out and re-record or record live instruments on this album that we've been conceiving? And now we want to do it with real instruments. They just flew all of our instruments out. Rocket Cargo shipped all of our, you know, all of our pretty much vintage instruments that we were kind of always dedicated to a vintage sound. And that process was so easy breezy and we couldn't believe we recorded the whole thing in 10 days twig what was your feeling uh you know i was just gonna just walk back a little bit because i was gonna ask you guys if you guys remember the timeline between pharrell uh, i thought this was pretty genius of pharrell he uh, so he was he expressed his interest in spy mob to sign to his new label once he established a label but i don't remember the timeline honestly um but it was pretty genius of him to uh, hire us on to re-record in search of in in the spirit of like promoting us as a band for once he landed a deal so it was kind of like the gateway that kind of got us started um and do you guys remember when that happened based on when and then when he actually signed the star trek deal with arista uh, I think that was always part of the picture for Pharrell. He always had cross promotion on his mind, but he, I mean, the thing that I've always appreciated about Pharrell, I think a lot of people do is that he likes what he likes. It's unapologetic about it. And, you know, sort of like Stephen Jobs, Steve Jobs saying like, you know, don't wait for the people to ask for it. Tell them what they want to hear. And Pharrell yeah. just always thought about us in that way. He, you know, <laughs> even though things didn't, happen in a huge way for spy mob there's still time though guys um he always felt like this is what the people really want and he i'm you know from the moment that we met him i'm sure like you know yes he i think he appreciated us as the backup group for nerd and he believed that spy mob would be you know a people pleaser in, in our own right Definitely. You know, uh, you, you, you mentioned, you know, kind of coming into in search of, you know, NERD is another um, uh, thing I was obsessed with, still am obsessed with. Um, but um, when that first release came out, when In Search of came out with the, um, with the, uh, the like the, per the production version, not the, uh, the live music version, like it, it, it it felt like nothing to me like i was just like yeah it's you know it's good you know i uh, you know i like their work but this is you know whatever and then um i can't even remember it might have actually even been quest love um mentioning the live music version of it that made me go back and check it out again and and i was like blown away because it it it, it has all of the feeling that all of those songs required to work you know, like the, the, the early version just didn't, it just didn't hit. And I think the bringing you guys in definitely kind of, um, brought that energy that it required. And then when I saw the stuff live, like, forget about it. It was, it, it, it was absolutely over. What was, what was the process of re-recording those tracks like? Was, you know, was it, was it straight live through or were, 
was it like a uh, a, a sample of the live in- instrumentation yeah um, I, I remember i remember going in and um and just i mean basically kind of tracking over that previous version for the most part yeah yeah i mean you guys turned- remember that oh yeah, yeah i just uh yes the- we we remember we we practiced a bit over it too we we, we had like a bunch of ideas and stuff we even went in with <laughs> uh, which all got thrown out which should have got thrown out <laughs> but yeah uh, we not spent all some- of them not all, not of, all it, of them but. maybe yeah but um but we um yeah we we spent some time like we were we were a pretty diligent band you know we we really put in our time so like we had that that version you know obviously without the live instruments and we sat in our studio and you know tried things out and stuff like that but then then we got there and it was really uh because pharrell and chad were were at that time they were really getting busy and so we spent a really the majority of the time with chad just sitting in the sitting in the studio and chad saying okay try this let's try that let's try this you know and a lot of it's kind of like doubling things and you know obviously drums are a big part of that laying drums across the whole thing and then lining those up to program drums and it's an interesting it's really fun is and it's an interesting time too because some of that stuff was kind of a little bit harder to do at that time like to match up you know instruments like that and computers and is it was fun it's really interesting and fun yeah you know that was um that was definitely i would have to say one of my first experiences in like a legit recording studio and so one of the things that you know blew me away was you know talking about bringing that energy to that album um is like watching eric and brent uh, play uh, especially I remember Eric playing live drums over those sequence drums and just and bringing all that energy but still like keeping it locked down on that click was was amazing yeah and it's tricky like it's a that's a that's a different to do it over top of like Pharrell and Chad beats too is 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 interesting because they don't they don't hard quantize so it's like it's a lot for especially for eric it's like it's quite a job you you got you got to really lock into those exact feels of of what pharrell and chad had programmed which is extremely important you can't you can't just straighten out of pharrell and chad you know put it in the computer and hit quantize to zero so that everything's right on the the right on the bar line you know you you lose the feel so that there's like a lot of finesse put into making sure that we didn't mess any of that up. It's and it's easy looking back to talk, you know, to characterize it as all intentional, but I don't think, I don't think, have we talked to spy mob guys about Mark Ronson's interview last month where he was talking about in search of and the drums and, and, no, I didn't know that. No. That's pretty dope. Yeah. That fader interview was, uh, was really incredible. The two part. Yeah. And, you know, it's uh, a friend uh, mentioned that and I went and listened to it and it was really cool to hear Mark Ronson talk about compare the two versions of uh, with the live instruments and without the live instruments. And and he said something that I think we all agree, but 
it's it was not a plan which he he said there's something about that recording because even at the time we were all aware that when we see music that was conceived of with a drum machine you know and often hip-hop is and then you see it on a like a late night tv show with a live band it can really lose something so how do you maintain the tightness where it has to be tight but also bring some liveness without ruining the the preciseness conciseness and so we just did our best to try to do that but also not deny the fact that we're live you know we wanted to be live instruments but we didn't want to overpower what was there and i think one of the elements that helped is that we're using instrumentation everything is muted you know a rhodes piano uh you know electric guitar that isn't you know super bright and take over and you know, vintage drums that are fuddy, you know, they're not big, they're not bright and, you know, bass tones that are, are darker and it, and it happened to work. You know, and, but it, but it's not looking back. It's like, we got lucky. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> but it, it, it does, it does work, but we weren't sure what we were doing. I, let me be clear. I didn't know there was no plan you know there was no like i know this is what we're creating for me it was it was almost like i was becoming a fan of nerd with us at the time that we were creating that with us that makes sense that makes sense i didn't, I didn't know what we were, i didn't know what we were doing yeah the- was it was it easy to then um take that work and translate it live um, or, or was that a whole nother set of kind of work? The only work was we made the decision and Pharrell uh, and Chad and Shay, uh, because Spy Mob was a seasoned live band and those guys hadn't performed much really at all. They were like, you guys plan the live show. And we're like, that's fine. You know, no pressure. <laughs> but, but we felt comfortable doing that because you know, we had a sense of what songs were going to be good to finish with. And they tasked us with, um, we did put together some augmentation tracks and tracks that would be playing in the background that wouldn't take away from the live set. Um, but other than that, I think the translation was really easy. Yeah. I felt like it was, I felt like it was really easy. Just, we, we really just played the records down, you know, we just played it like it was, you know, and it's just, it was just about like, especially at that time, it was just about let's let's get that pocket feeling great, you know. And that's that's really you go back to those those early NERD shows with Spy Mob. Is it's like it's just pocket, you know. And we were really into that at that time too. We were really into like just like pocket grooves, you know, and just laying it down. So yeah, well, I I felt too like uh, when we were in the studio the studio you know at times can feel like you're under a microscope and so when it was time to actually like rehearse and play that live i i really felt like we were able to let the tiger out of the cage yeah you know i just i felt like we really opened up yeah i mean it definitely showed like um you know uh before everybody joined uh christian and i were talking about uh the very first uh sprite liquid mix tour uh which is i i caught you guys at and uh you know i was talking about the fact that 
you know, I saw you guys on the side stage early on, you know, playing for like 50, 100 people and and uh, had a conversation with Christian where I said, uh, you know, how crazy is it that in like two hours, all these people who aren't paying attention are going to be screaming at you? You know, um, what what was it like kind of working double duty um, on those tours, you know, playing your own stuff and then switching and going to essentially the main stage to to then headline essentially it was i think i mean it was fun i i man i i i love those those tours back then i think i i think it was fun it wasn't it was i mean i think probably for eric it was the toughest because it was quite a workout all night you know um but like yeah man it it was just so much fun and that that still it's still like early days for us and we were you know still just kind of all cutting our teeth like on big stages and stuff so yeah you know, it was, it was a blast. It wasn't really difficult. It was, it was fun. And we knew that, like, it was going to be hard for us. We knew that we wouldn't get, like, tons and tons of people knowing Spy Mob. And we, we, we knew it was going to be a little bit of a grind, you know. So we were, all, you know, we were ready for that and just doing our best, you know. I think, too, we weren't, we weren't 22. We were, you know, 30-ish or, or a few years, maybe beyond, beyond a couple of years after 30 was, I was, and speak for yourself. Yeah, I know. <laughs> no, no, you're supposed to say, speak for yourself, old man. <laughs> speak for yourself, old man. Okay. There you go. Um, but you know, we were in our thirties. I was in my thirties. Um, and we appreciate, I think we really appreciated most moments. I mean, we were all away from certain elements of family. I, had a wife and two kids at that point. And, um, you know, I wouldn't have been out there if it wasn't really living something that was really important. And, and we never, you know, there were frustrating days for sure. But I think for the most part, we were very aware of what it meant to be a band now together, for, you know, for 11 years, 10 years and to be, Getting exposed, I think the most special thing was the variety of fans that we were exposed to. The Sprite Liquid Mixed Tour was in some ways an encapsulation of the audiences that Spy Mob had on the road with NERD. All kinds of backgrounds of these kids. If Spy Mob had gone a traditional track, we would have been playing to a largely white audience and with a very sort of, you know, limited experience of backgrounds with NERD and with that range of artists on that road. Sure. We were having a different number of people in front of the spy mob stage, you know, the side stage in the afternoon than in the, in the front, but it was like smorgasbord of meeting a variety of folks. Yeah. You know, I, I, this get this gets thrown around a lot, but I truly believe that like it, you know, not just not just you guys, but you guys and NERD, in a sense, like were so ahead of your time in the ability to like different things, you know, like everything was so genre specific at that time. And I just feel like you, you guys helped kind of push that um, that kind of cross genre idea you know i mean festivals helped a lot and stuff like that and all but um but i i think that i think that that nerd project early on kind of created the weird potpourri 
that exists now. Like it was so, it was just so ahead of its time. And I, and you know, um, like, could you, could you sense that you guys were doing something that would, I don't want to say change music because that's just, you know, it's, it is what it is, but like it, that it was kind of a sign of things to come, I guess is what would be the best way to describe it. Were, were you kind of aware of that or was, is that just kind of something that's noticeable in retrospect? Man, yeah, that's interesting. I, I would say, uh, uh, first thing that I would say is uh, just a, uh, is that was really the genius, I think, that Pharrell was. I mean, he's yeah. this, uh, you know, huge hip hop producer, but like he liked to skateboard and wear a trucker hat. I mean, even just the imagery of him was, uh, I, I think, extremely uh, forward for the time. You know, he was just a trendsetter. Like Eric was saying earlier, he just kind of told people what they were going to like, <laughs> I think, you know, and he created this thing and he it did it intentionally and brought a band like Spy Mob into his world and and just mashed it all up and it and it worked. It just worked. I personally, speaking for myself, I don't think I had a clue of what that album would have would meant at the time only looking back do i kind of just go wow i mean like it, that was amazing and i mean it still holds up i feel like even today as feeling like this record still seems like it's like futuristic to me you know um so i'll leave it with that i totally that's i relate wholeheartedly to that it's that sense of I didn't know what we were doing at the time until we did it and could reflect on it. And really, I feel like it is, it was in seeing how it was bouncing off of the crowd back to us. That to me was really, those experiences were how I understood what it was. And that experience to me was a sense of relief in the, you know, in addition to Pharrell suggesting to people, this is what you should like, I think it was also a sense of, this is a thing you have license to like. And as soon as people realized, oh my God, we don't have to put music into these separate categories that we can enjoy the smear and we can enjoy this, un, you know, this thing you don't see every day, which is uh, two African-American uh, um, performers and a Filipino American performer backed by four white American performers that, Oh, this is a thing. This is a thing that can exist now and it can rock hard and it can funk hard. And it was, I think it was in seeing it bounce off the audience that we were like, people are really feeling free to like this shit. Yeah. And I was talking to Nathan earlier before the interview about how, really early on you know some of the faces it were just like blank in the you know the first couple of shows maybe even the first half of our tour where we'd go and play and there was almost like this sense of like they're seeing pharrell the hip-hop producer or for the neptunes and here here we are rocking out and there was almost a, a little bit of a confusion kind of early on but it didn't take long before people then really kind of got the thing and really got behind it. That's cool. And overseas, 
overseas too. Like it, it was really, oh. it, it, like it connected. It felt like it connected over there on a different, like a different level. There's just like I think it's just culturally it's a little different too. But you'd go overseas and they'd, they'd be singing every song, like, and yeah, it just it really connected there. And it's <laughs> it's also a testament to like Chad, Chad Farrell and Shay just like going for it and just making what they, they with that album they just they just wanted to they just wanted to make something that they felt was cool they weren't really following any rules or nothing so like when people just kind of let go you you felt that in that album you know it's just they did whatever they wanted with it you know and yeah that that's what worked you know the art that that album is really such a piece of art in that way you know that it really embraces exactly who they were they weren't i don't really feel like they were sitting in the studio like writing those songs thinking like we're gonna sell millions of records they're just like writing these songs going these this is what we feel and we want to make the coolest shit you know and for spy mob at the time I mean, our style which was important for our style but it for sure was about metic being meticulous you know we really sweated our arrangements and we made sure that everything was where we wanted it to be. And that was part of our sound. That's part of why, you know, it was a positive part of how we approached music, but it's not the only way to approach music. And so when we got into the studio for the first time with Chad and Shay and Pharrell, uh -huh. there was a sense of go. And we went and yeah. we, grew down parts and it was not meticulous. We went with inspiration yeah. and suddenly we'd be on to the next song. And I would say, I'm pretty sure we should fix. And as soon as I would say fix, Chad would say, we're not fixing nothing. Mm -hmm. and so today, you know, if you listen to provider, the tempo is a little floaty and I'm just living with that because apparently provider, you know, people liked it despite the tempo shifts. So <laughs> definitely like it. That's uh, one of my favorite tracks on the album, too. That's so funny. This just goes to show that, you know, you, as artists, we come in with certain priorities. And sometimes we just need someone else to be like, no, we're not going to do it that way. And like, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Including, too, including Eric, like even the, um, I remember the shaker that you, you went in to do the shaker on Stay Together. And typically, you know, we would, we would you know, you do a shaker and you, it takes like just a, a couple of hits a lot of times to kind of like, drop right in sometime you know yeah and uh yeah that, that's what we were expecting you know like yeah. eric could go in there and you know kind of okay just second you know okay i'm in you know like a yeah. half a bar in or so and like it it's just it's kept it's there it's just the like this thing. nice little loose intro yeah yeah i have the same thing on like there's some there's things are getting better there's like a part where i kind of like stop a chord or something like it's just it's there still you know <laughs> that's awesome it's, it's awesome yeah it's awesome like that stuff like we were yeah we like and especially because we did that that album with epic before that and that was much more you know laroni this steve laroni the producer was much more meticulous you know and make us really get those parts right on and rock records like to a fault a lot of times like a lot of rock records get so meticulous and it just sucks the life out of them those guys even to this i mean it was not even you know maybe five years ago i was recording i remember recording with pharrell and it was he was so busy at the time it's around the happy time you know and um and i'm in there and like god dude he'll be like he'll be like 
okay, I got this part. Here it is, you know, hum it to me. Right. And, and it's like, and the minute I get like, get it one time through, right. He'll like go, you know, Drew or Mike. I can't remember who was there. Mike. I think it was Mike, Mike record. And I'm like, give me a second to like, you know, like internalize it. Like I got to like, and, um, and I'd get it. And I remember looking at him going like, yo, I can, I can, I can tighten that up. You know, I can, I can get that a little tighter. And he's like, sounds good to me. I'm oh my like, God. Listen, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to question you. That's for sure. Cause <laughs> I trust you. I trust your ears. I was thinking that I heard drop it like it's hot for the first time in years the other day. And I was like, God, that's all just humanness. You know, yeah. It's like it's a judgment that there's some spirit there that's not about quote precision. Yeah. The spirit. Well, that's you, why that's why they got that sound. That's why that that's why you can't, you can't copy that sound. It's like it's a mate, you know, feels so good. And that's what I was gonna say is like uh that that sound um is why I think the life came why like something like in search of came to life with live instrumentation as opposed to kind of the 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 tracked version is because it's not as it's not as programmed or whatnot you know those those slight imperfections or those little changes is part of the soul and is part of what gives it that that kind of hard feeling you know um, i will speak up for the NERD fan base that likes the initial version in that there is a real innocence and um, Mm -hmm. demo quality to that. That also is a real aspect of the NERD sound that, you know, I agree. So that when people are like, oh, screw the live version, you know, the first version's best. Like, who are we to disagree? You know, there is a real charm to the rawness. And it's like, which rawness do you want? Do you want the rawness with instruments? Or do you want the rawness of like, oh, there's some empty space in here. You know, when Spy Mob mm-hmm. got the early tracks, got the tracks from Pharrell, Shea, and Chad before we recorded, and they were like, here, here are the raw tracks. You know, if you have any arrangement ideas, let us know. We can't, we wanted to fill every little space. <laughs> and that's why they were like, no, we're not going to do that. But just, <clears throat> but that space is something that has always been a part of the Neptune sound. And, and so I don't, I think we all appreciate why some people really appreciate the, the version without instruments. Yeah. Um, I, I, I guess I don't want to come across as if I hated it cause I didn't. Um, but like I said, it's just, it's, it's different, you know what I mean? And Very it's not, different. it just didn't, it just didn't kind of hit me the way that, uh, the live version did. Well, you guys were, um, you know, so you guys were on Star Trek and then, you know, that kind of, you guys were a part of the, um, kind of Arista, um debacle it was what like you guys and and Kalis, um right um that they kind of didn't want to end up putting out the albums what was what was the breakdown there was it like did were were you worried that album would never come out or um did you know that like well all right if they're not going to do it we're going to get it out one way or the other the debacle was really no i was at least personally, I was unaware of the details of what was happening relationally at the top. Right. You guys, what do you think? 
Yeah, I was uh, unaware of that. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't know. I, I didn't know there was anything until we got the news that we we're getting dropped. Really. So. Well, and just to, at least just I don't remember. Up, just to back up a little bit, there was we once we landed on Arista, we were on tour uh, with NERD, and eighteen months goes by, and yeah, we're sitting around together just kind of scratching our heads like what's going on here they have our record um and it's just radio silence from the top you know at arista so that was you know very challenging um and then so 18 months into that i just remember getting a call from our manager sterling McElwain, um saying you know uh, arista's on board you know it's time to go so strap up your boots you know we're gonna you know we're it this is happening okay so arista's on board all of a sudden and we got the green light we spent the next six months doing media training uh photo shoots and reviews and magazines and so we did the whole treatment and the all the prep to release our record so everything was a go and so we did six months worth of that and uh, the way I remember it was literally we were uh, supposed to listen to the radio to hear our song on the national release. The the campaign is, you know, the drop and uh, no song on the radio f- for one, two, three, four days or whatever it was. And then we got a call uh, from our manager saying, you know, that in the last minute, L.A. Reid, who was at the top of Arista at the time, decided to drop us. That's wild. That is so yeah. wild. Like it, it, it's yeah. it's why like it's part of the weirdness of that time period too in the music industry. Like that the amount of uh, I guess I'll say the amount of money that people would put behind things and then just kind of like like you know someone would leave a position or something like that and then all of a sudden everything changes. Um, it, like um, that's um. That's wild. But so how did you guys end up getting that, getting that album back to be able to then take it to Ruthless? In that case, unless you guys remember differently, there wasn't a fight. I think even though Arista had paid an advance for it, that was sort of roped into his initial deal with the Neptunes and Star Trek. We got the album back. This time it was sort of a question of, um, we've been here before. We know what it means to be dropped. Um, the second time isn't as hard as the first. We still had this great relationship with Pharrell that was ongoing, Twig. It was my first dropping. <laughs> <laughs> it was extra hard for Twig. This time around, we were his support. We're like, you'll get through this. All you need is a bright, shiny, energetic person to come into your life the way you did to us. Um, and, and, you know, we just kind of, we were a band without a label for a while while we continued to tour with NERD and we were at South by Southwest in the, in the coming months afterwards. And Tamika Wright, um, who was running Ruthless Records, um, showed interest and we met with Tamika and 
she dedicated herself to having ruthless records um founded as a as a rap label um release of all things our record so it did come out um not as spectacularly as we originally had envisioned but we were happy to get it out and then 10 years later when the rights reverted back to us we added a few songs that were recorded during those same sessions and re-released it ourselves yeah the the remastering uh and all of that and the re-release sounds absolutely incredible and those 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 extra songs are 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 killer um what that uh second like the second time you've now put it out or whatnot um what was the kind of was there a good reaction to that because like for me it was exciting because it was like oh my god here we go again like like i i I was hoping for more i thought more was coming um you know i did listen to memphis though uh and i do own um that digitally um but um but what was what was the thought process behind um getting that back and and kind of re revising it and re-releasing it i think i think it was just like we just kind of i know when we did the ruthless deal i I, we were i i feel like i remember i felt like i was like man i don't want i want to at least have this record back at some point if this doesn't work out you know (laughs) like so um i I was excited to like be able to do that deal with it you know so we would know we could get it back and i I think it was just like for me it's just like i just wanted to like have it out right have be able to put the the music out the way it should be out i guess i don't know i just it would it just felt good to like release it because you know i was really proud of i'm really proud of that album and proud of that album what i did with everybody in the group you know um for me it was just getting a great getting a piece of art out that i was proud of really (laughs) you know i don't know how you guys were you know like that was it you know well you know i mean man when i think back looking really looking back full circle all of this stuff that we did with pharrell and nerd and all of it was all to get that record out that was why we were there you know and we got we had amazing experiences and we got so lucky to have the experience with nerd that we did and we really did all of it in the spirit of getting that record out because we just believed in it so much I mean, rightfully so. Like, you know, I, I kind of said this when we were messaging each other and all like that album literally stayed in my CD player, uh, just dating myself, my, my disc man, um, uh, for like four months. I mean, like it just lived there. And like, I have, I have, you know, incredible memories of like, um, walking around Philadelphia, uh, in my peacoat with that on my headphone in my headphones just kind of lost in the music wandering streets as i as i just you know walked around and all um it it just it really spoke to me and i'm not just saying that because i lived at home until i was like 37 like uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> like you know which also it really did kind of uh hit home that's right. <laughs> but um but no it was it, it's just it's it's a really special a collection of songs that you guys created and um i i just i i've oh you 
so coming up in a little bit here, I'm going to ask you guys like an, an unappreciated John, which is just something that you want to sh- spotlight that, that you wish more people um, knew about. And you guys are like one of my top five unappreciated Johns. Like I just wish more people knew how brilliant that album is. And, you know, I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm glad that you guys were able to kind of get it out there properly and and do what with it uh it deserves you know i mean i think it deserves more than that but the fact that you guys were able to take ownership of it and kind of get get it back out there is is phenomenal and i'm i'm really really happy that happened um i think for all of us you know we've all we all have families and so you know i think there's a side of all of us that would have loved to have dropped everything and you know dropped a million dollars of money we don't have to to go and do a, a a national tour in support of it but really for us it was you know we all are busy doing what things that we love that you know um nevertheless don't allow us to do that but we just to echo what the guy other guys were saying just to get the music out meant a lot in the form that we wanted it to be out definitely yeah. Well, at this time, gentlemen, um, would you like to sit through the jauntlet? These are um, my standard stock questions that I ask every single guest of this show. Um, I've even done it myself. I've sat through the jauntlet, interviewed by this gentleman over my shoulder right here. His name is Petey, and uh, he is a Muppet. Uh, <laughs> that's available on YouTube if anybody wants to check that out. It's pretty funny, uh, if I do say so myself. Um, Petey steals the show, but whatever. Um, but these are these are um, two 10-question segments. Um, rapid. They can be rapid fire you can take your time if you want to jump on them whatever you want we'll go around i'll I'll just kind of announce everybody but it starts with the one hit wonders and these are just verses one hit wonder number one billy joel or elton john eric we'll start with you billy joel was my favorite my first concert ever and i just i have to go with the piano man i love it i love it brent how about you one one hit wonder what i don't get it i don't get the question because they're just one they're one hitters so like they're just like you're only picking one it's just a play oh okay no i gotta go with i gotta go with elton john yeah okay okay good and christian yeah i gotta go with elton john too oh two one two one i like it i like it disrespect Uh, elton i love you too (laughs) (laughs) Uh, number two debbie harry or joan jett uh christian we'll go backwards i'm gonna have to go with debbie harry on that one yeah. Okay. Brent? I got to go Joan Jett. All right. Eric? I, I, I just want them both, but Debbie Harry. Okay. All right. All right. I like it. I like it. Uh, the next one, um, and this one. So when I first started this, there were a whole diff- different series of these. I had like Sammy Hagar versus David Lee Roth, and everybody said David Lee Roth, clearly. Um, <laughs> So I had to change it, and this is one of the ones I changed it to, and I'm going to have to change it again because it's a little overloaded. But uh, Aretha Franklin or Tina Turner? Uh, Brent, we'll start with you. Yeah, Aretha. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Uh, Eric? No disrespect, Tina, but Aretha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Christian? Yeah, I'm sorry, Tina. Yeah, yeah, but, it makes sense. Like yeah, I said, that one's that one's going to come out. <laughs> it's just not working the way I wanted it to. Um, the next one, Nirvana or Pearl Jam, Eric? Oh my gosh! I mean, I've got I've, I've got to go with Nirvana. Okay, okay, and Christian? Man, you know that that is a tough one for me. I remember seeing uh, Pearl Jam live at First Avenue. So I have a I have a very strong uh, connection with that ten record, 
Oh, uh, man, I, I don't even know if I can even answer that one. I have to plead the fifth on that one, I think. <laughs> acceptable. Very acceptable. Very acceptable. Uh, <laughs> Brent, what do you got? Yeah, I got to go. I, both unbelievable bands, of course, but I got to go Nirvana. But they just hit me hit me a little harder. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, next one, Janis Joplin or Stevie Nicks? Eric. Janis. Brent. Uh, I might have to go Stevie for me. Yeah. Okay, okay. And Christian? I have no idea. <laughs> no clue. That's a good one. I, I, just, I just can't. Okay, that's fair. Absolutely fair. Uh, the next one uh, is the big one uh, that everybody always asks. Uh, Beatles versus the Stones. Christian? Uh, that That's actually an easy one for me. Um, although I will say that I uh, later in, in my life have I been able to really appreciate the Stones, but it's hands down Beatles for me. Okay. Okay. Brent? Hands down Beatles. Yeah. And Eric? The Beatles. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. I get it. It's fair. My pick was the Stones. Um, I'm, I'm like, I'm one of those. But, and uh, Well, they, it's well this interview is over. <laughs> Shut it down. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe when the wonderful documentary comes along of the Stones that rivals the, you know, rivals uh, get back. That's right. If if Peter Jackson gets his hands on all of the outtakes from Gimme Shelter, it's That's on. Right. That's, That's right. right. Yeah. <laughs> um, the uh, the last one hit wonder, um, and this one, uh, I, I think I might be able to guess, but I'm not going to assume anything. Bohemian Rhapsody or Stairway to Heaven? We'll start with Brent. Oh boy! Oh my God! He's that. Yeah, you're cruel, Nathan. <laughs> oh, that is so cruel. I, I, oh my God, I can't, no, I gotta, I gotta pass on that. I can't, I couldn't, no, it's two fifty fifty. It's 50, 50 on that. No All right. doubt. All right. Christian. Oh, no. Um, well, I would say, um, if it wasn't for Wayne's world, um, I'm just going to go with stairway to heaven. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's fair. You bring in Wayne's world. I love it. And uh, Eric, what do you think? You know, as just epic and iconic and uniquely itself as Stairway to Heaven is, I think the feeling I had when I first heard Bohemian Rhapsody was so otherworldly that I have to go with Bohemian Rhapsody. To this day, I... You know, there's there's a way that I can conceive of a stairway to heaven being created. Like it is a masterpiece. But when I think of Bohemian Rhapsody, I still cannot wrap my head around how that song is assembled, much less recorded. That, that is true with that one. Yeah. Even to the point of the way that the the centerpiece is was written um boggles my mind. Like it's just Yeah. I can't even I can't conceive of it. It's otherworldly, otherworldly. Yeah. All right. The next and final segment is the top 10 countdown. Now in this section, I don't know how familiar you guys are with uh, Philly slang, but um, the word John, we use it to mean anything. It can, it can literally be anything you want it to be. It doesn't have to be music. It can be anything you want. So, um, so feel free to, you know, to let these answers be whatever you want them to be. Um, again, like I said earlier, no one's being judged on any of this. So, <laughs> um, number one, what was your first John? What was the first thing you found yourself obsessed with as a child? Eric, we'll start with you. Well, 
Captain and Tennille was brief, but Kiss lasted years. And Kiss is the reason why I do music today. Excellent. Excellent. Brent, how about yourself? Well, before music, it was dirt bikes, like like motorcycle dirt bikes, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that, that was, yeah. And BMX bikes. I was a 70s kid, you know? So yeah, that was, that was hot, you know? Did you ever jump anything cool? Um, you know, like no, I wasn't. Tank of sharks so, or anything? <laughs> <laughs> no, you know. No, I wasn't. I wasn't too crazy on all of it. I, I luckily got into guitar when I was like around thirteen, fourteen. So I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't get to the place of hurting myself too bad. Good, good. But yeah, good. My, we had the three wheelers and stuff. My brother broke his leg on it. And, you know, like we we had some pretty fun times on that stuff. That's excellent, yeah. excellent. Christian, how about yourself? First, John. Yeah, man, I got a I got a second uh, Eric's uh, with Kiss because that that shit you know, blew my mind as a youngster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a, I have a photo of me with my little plastic kiss guitar, um, with my tongue out. Uh, and I had to have been like three or four and it's like one of, you can see pure joy in my face. And I don't think I uh, even could understand or comprehend how much <laughs> what was going on with kiss at that time. I was just like, Hey man, look at these guys in this cool makeup. <laughs> uh, but yes, definitely kiss, uh, is, is up there for me as well. Uh, number two, what's your current John? We'll just go backwards. Christian. Oh man, I'm I'm looking at this list of questions, and man, I'm just uh, I'm struggling over here trying to think about stuff. You're catching me off guard. <laughs> oh, it's all good. <laughs> come back to me. All right, I'll come back, Brent. What are you What are you into right now? Music, John, or just Johns in general? Johns just, in general. Just what, Any anything Krishna, you're feeling? Krishna Murdy. Okay. I love I love I love reading anything and studying any I love the you know the philosopher Krishnamurti. It's like that's what I do on my time off is read his books. <laughs> that's incredible. That's incredible. Yeah. Eric, Eric, how about yourself? Uh yeah, um parenting teenagers just has to be a, a, a curiosity that I'm obsessed with, but um since I'm forced to do that, I, w- I want to take this opportunity to call out Meg Hutchinson, who's a songwriter based in Boston. Um, she's also, she's up to a lot of stuff, but songwriting, um, Meg has always been one of the most powerful songwriters. And I can't believe that m- more people don't know about her. And if there's a starting point album, it's called The Living Side. I will definitely have to check that out. That sounds incredible. Uh, Christian, did you think of anything? No, I got nothing, man. Let's move on. You're good. Uh, (laughs) uh, Well, then I'll let you take this one. Uh, Number three, what was your first concert? Metallica. Okay, where at? Um, Man, it was a... um, What was the... Dang. I don't even know what the... um, I don't remember what arena it was in Minneapolis. It was the Injustice for All Tour. Okay. But whatever arena it was at, I don't sure that it exists anymore, but I, I am not remembering it so dang long ago. Oh, that's wild. That's wild. Yeah. Brent, I was how just about, a teenager. <laughs> how about mm-hmm. yourself, Brent? What was your first concert? Seventh, seventh grade, Ozzy Osbourne, Bark at the Moon, Bark at the Moon tour. Very nice. Very mind boggling. Nice. Yeah. When you're seventh grade. Yeah. It's a, it was awesome. That's incredible. Eric, first concert. Yeah. 
Well, as I mentioned earlier, it was oh, Billy, right. Joel, Billy Joel, 1978. I don't know what the album was, but I remember Liberty DeVito. This was just as I was starting to be a drummer. Liberty DeVito comes out, and on his very first hit of the drums, he breaks the stick, but he doesn't break his stride. And he grabs another stick, and he's on. And I'm like, I want to do that. That's incredible. Yeah. That is incredible. See, he just those those are the kind of moments that like just spark so much joy in me is like hearing like these little things that did, probably in his head he was like shit 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 but he but he played it off so cool and then inspired yourself to play drums. Incredible. Thank you, Liberty. <laughs> uh, number four. What was the last concert you were at, Brent? Oh God, dang it! Um. Let somebody else go. I'll, I'll, I got to think about that for a second. I can't remember which one it was. Yeah, no problem, Christian. Uh, I can't. I cannot remember. Yeah. Okay. Eric? I don't remember. I mean, it's difficult in COVID times, but pre-COVID, I saw Rufus Wainwright. Oh, and Rufus put on. I, I went with medium expectations. I was a fan. What twenty years ago? And frickin' A, did he put on a hell of a show, and his band blew my mind. That's awesome. Everybody seems I, I remem- to remember. Brent, go ahead. I remember it. I remember it. Uh, and I can't believe I forgot this. is Grateful Dead. And I've never really listened to the Grateful Dead. And uh, I have a couple great friends that, like, we got to go to, yes. I mean, unbelievable concerts. Oh, my God. With John Mayer. And at the Hollywood Bowl, which was insane. Awesome. Really, that is really fun. Very cool. Yeah. Great band to see. Did you remember? Uh, yeah. yeah, I did remember. At least this is the last one that's coming to my mind was Wolfpack at Red Rocks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. That those was are, bananas. Those are three great last concerts. I love it. I love it. <laughs> uh, number five, what was your favorite concert you've ever been to, Eric? Oh, my God. It's a tough one, I know. My favorite concert. Uh, Spy Mob live at the Fillmore in San Francisco. <laughs> uh, no, um, favorite concert. Um, I mean, which one did I have the most glee? Uh, you know, maybe Rush Power Windows 1987 because of the sheer, I can't believe I'm watching Rush play live and being from Ames, Iowa, driving up to the St. Paul Civic Center, which is no longer there. There was a magic about, about that. That's amazing. One of my, that's one of my top five, I would say probably, probably like number three was uh, Rush during the counterparts tour. My friends and I camped out and we got third row seats and uh, I've, I've, it blew my face off, like absolutely blew my face off watching them that close. And, you know, uh, you know, big rest in peace to Neil Peart. um, Yes. Who was unbelievable. Um, Brent, favorite concert? It was the first album tour for both of them. It was at it was at First Avenue in Minneapolis. The tickets were five. I think they were five dollars. It was Rage Against the Machine and Mr. Bungle. Whoa! <laughs> it was fucking epic, dude. Dude, fucking first First Avenue, yo, insanity. Both those wow. groups. Oh my god, that's amazing. Insane. 
I can't even yeah, imagine. Yeah, first out, al- first the first album for both of them too. So it's just like fuck, God, insane. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, lucky, I was so lucky to get that. Uh, Christian, what do you got? Yeah, I would have to say it was probably the first Lollapalooza. Yeah, yeah, oh, dude, that was a crazy lineup. That's that was an like, insane lineup. I remember waiting in line for like a beer and nine inch nails comes on i'd never even heard nine inch nails and i was like what is happening right now this is nuts you know i mean and and uh what was ice t's band uh body count body count oh, body, body count body count i mean come oh, on oh yeah jane's addiction i mean it was unbelievable and they had the freak show did you see the freak show ever twig did you go watch the freak show of course i did <laughs> dude and you'd see people passing out in the audience oh, I, I mean i saw a dude like hang a brick off of his nipple rings you know i mean <laughs> it's just... those are the memories the memories made it's unbelievable that wasn't i mean like you know it, it kind of it became whatever every almost every festival is but those those early Lollapalooza shows that was another just shot in oh, the dark dear. of magic you know like just absolutely. unbelievable um incredible <laughs> Uh, number six, who have you never seen live who you wish you would have? They can be living or dead. Uh, Brent, we'll start with you. Uh, Beatles. Yeah. But I wish I could have saw, you know, obviously original lineup of the Beatles, like that would have been, wow. You know? Yeah. You know, uh, I forget who I was talking to about it, but talk about a tight band. Like, you know, the, the, you know, just the ability watching that let it be documentary the ability they had of just like oh we're we're writing get back now oh okay you know like like just seamlessly like oh we're just we're just gonna walk through she came in through the bathroom window just like this oh okay got you know like just phenomenal yeah just phenomenal and if there's any ever any doubt as to what a masterful timekeeper Ringo Starr was, not only timekeeper, but creative timekeeper. That yes. documentary shows from one take to the other, solid. You take the show, you move it up to the roof. It's the first performance in how long? And why aren't the tempos increasing? Who the frick knows? It's the nervous system of Ringo Starr that is unflappable. Master. Definitely. Yes. Definitely. Yes. Thank you for the, the drummer uh, little breakout there. I love it. I love it. Uh, while you're there, Eric, who have you never seen live who you wish you would have? Joni Mitchell. Oh, wow. Oh, that's a good one. Too. That is a good one. That is a really good one. Um, any particular era? Oh, it would probably be the court and spark era, perhaps, you know, somewhere in there, maybe hissing of summer lawns. Okay. Mm-hmm. I like it. I like Is it. Uh, maybe spacing out a little bit. Yeah. I like it. Uh, Christian, how about you? Yeah. I'll probably have to just go with the Beatles too. Yeah. It's a, it's a good answer. Yeah. It's a really yeah. good answer. Um, w- one of my favorite uh, answers we received so far was um, uh, uh, um, Dan Reed. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Philly DJs or all, but uh, Dan Reed from WXPN said uh, uh, Thelonious Monk. 
um, in in like a, oh, in like a New York club, yes. and I was like, oh, that just oh, opens up so many Ooh. other like you know, so many other things I wasn't even thinking of when I composed that question. But now you know, yeah. I do wish I had a time a time machine and tickets to a lot of a lot of a lot of shows. Yeah. Uh, number seven, name an unappreciated John. Name something you wish had a little more shine to it. Uh, Christian, we'll start with you. Oh man, you caught me again, dude. I don't know. <laughs> come back. I don't know. All right, I'll come back. Um, Dang it. Uh, Eric. Um, you know, my biggest unappreciated John is is Meg Hutchinson. Um, so definitely that's the one I would have would have put. Um, you know, our label this, you know, with maybe with more time I would have an additional answer, but our label mates on Star Trek, uh our high speed scene. And oh, I remember that, that. Band, that band live was so great. And Max Hart, lead singer, who's now, who's been the music director for Katy Perry for many tours and is the key keyboardist is just one of the most wonderful spirits um, that I just have to give a shout out to Max and high speed scene and just his whole musical world. That's awesome. What up, Max? Brent, you got one? Mm -hmm. Gosh, um, you guys, what's the, uh, what would they, he changed his, that guy, Corey, um, oh my God, it's facing, um, remember he, God, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what he calls his band now. Oh man, I, I have to come back to that one. The, it, when you, when you try to think about it, you can't get it. There's a, there's a few of them there though, but I just, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, all right. No, it's cool. It's I, I'd need a little more time. It'll come to me in a, in a minute. I hope. Christian, you got anything or you? I, <laughs> I love it. You caught me off guard, man. I don't know. No, it's good. It's good. Uh, number eight. And if you, Brent, if you think it will, we'll come back yeah, to it. I'll, but, I'll jump uh, it in. Yeah. Number eight favorite album. Uh, Eric. Oh my good goshness. I mean, I mentioned Court and Spark, right? Joni Mitchell. That is a, that is a, that one will just always be epic in my mind. Um, but maybe uh, Stevie Wonder Intervisions. Oh, perfect answer. Perfect answer. And a beautiful album. Um, I'm, a, uh, I'm a songs in the key of uh, life guy myself. Like that, because yeah. not just musically, but like it was like one of my mom's favorite albums growing up. And like what it a just. Crazy era. I mean, don't you yeah. have like. Songs in the Key of Life, Intervisions, Talking Book. Talking like, Book, yeah. Right yep. Like, how does a person even do that? It's seriously, and most of it by himself, you know? Like, yeah. it's a, unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, Christian, favorite Let album. it be. Yeah? Let it be, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's, it's just like, I'm glad that that documentary is kind of bringing people's eyes back to that album because it is like just a phenomenal kind of time capsule of just how perfect that band was. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's great. Uh, Brent. Um, man, I think maybe blood sugar, sex magic. Woo! Ooh, I like it. I, I think, I think that's just such a, uh, I, yeah, uh, un, unbelievable. I think Fushante is like not only one of the greatest guitarists, but like also like his his whole mental thing and his whole artistry. Like it's just I think out of this world. Like, Absolutely unbelievable, unbelievably true, and yeah, 
he's he's a very special musician i i feel he I um, have, oh i have i have to jump in one of my favorite memories of meeting <laughs> and hanging with brent back in the day was oh, yeah. I went over to, <laughs> we were in music school and uh or maybe it was just after i don't even remember man it was so long ago but uh brent invited me over and he had this vhs tape and he's like dude you gotta check this out slip that that vhs tape in and it was this like bootleg oh video God. of red hot chili peppers live in japan <laughs> we were like climbing the walls man we were rolling around on the floor we were just we were just freaked out man that's amazing that's it's, amazing. it's insane yeah live in japan like 1990 or something or 91 you, it's online and it's like so it's right before they recorded blood sugar sex magic you know they're into the tour they were just on fucking fire mm. their live show was just out of this world dude well, insanely good we'll save for next time at brent's discretion whether he talks about his one-on-one -on -one jam session with fleet sometime oh, yeah. that, that's another story <laughs> Not oh, I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. <laughs> I hear interview part two coming on. Uh -huh. uh, and that was when Brent was in high school. So there you go. Really? Uh, no, no, I was in Minneapolis. No. Or you just were out. Just out. All right. All right. Um, number nine. Uh, name an artist whose output you'll consume anything they put out, um, even if you have to be apologetic. Uh, for the stuff they put out. <laughs> can I can I answer that one? Yes, absolutely. That, Christian, it, go it, ahead. Right on the coattails of that Brent's answer for the last one, I, I have to go with the Chili Peppers. Yeah. Anything they do, I can. I I mean, yeah, man. They've been doing it for so long. It's it's pretty amazing what they've accomplished. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Eric, you got one. Um. And they're still it's an it's a band that or an artist that's still no they can be done they can just uh, someone who like you would you, at at no point would you not listen to anything they had they had put out right there's 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 just so many um, I'm trying to be creative um, I would say Beastie Boys oh perfect answer perfect but answer. That uh, they uh, they kind of changed my life with uh, License to Ill. That and uh, uh, Run DMC, Raising Hell, those two albums back to back, um, uh, just completely. I was like, oh, th this is a thing that like like Run DMC first because I was like, oh my god, this music is incredible, and then the Beastie Boys second because it made me go, oh wait maybe I can do this too. Like this. <laughs> right. It's that sense of just like, you can do that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I was like, you know, I was like, Oh my God, I want to fight for my right to party. And you right. know, I'd, like, like, I'd like to go to Brooklyn. Exactly. exactly. Uh, Brent, how about yourself? So I, I, I thought, of, I thought of one and then I got another one, which, uh, so I like Steely Dan. I feel like Donald Fagan, like whatever he puts out, like, I just like, I'll always listen to it. I always like it. Like no matter what, like it's just always gets me somewhere. Um, but you know what, you know who else too, though, is like, I'll be honest, like Pharrell stuff, man, like all the stuff, anything he does, like, I'm just like always amazed at, you know, I play on a lot of it, of course, but like, it's still like, 
it amazes me like how how great of a musician and songwriter he and i can't leave chad out either like both of them it's just sure. like unbelievable like because i'm not playing on everything he does obviously there's tons and tons of stuff he does it's just like everything he does i feel like it's just like it's crazy what he can go from you know to like hidden figures records to like even like some country stuff to you know hard hip-hop to stuff with crazy chords and like i don't know i just think it's pretty genius one of my favorite things to do um I, I DJ, or at least I used to pre-pandemic. Now I just occasionally will do a wedding or something like that. But uh, early on in, the, in a set, what I would love to do is I would just like let the entire night build just playing Neptunes and Pharrell tracks um, and yeah. because you can you can start so slow and just kind of and no one would ever recognize that all I was doing was essentially just playing one artist for for an hour straight. And yeah. that's, it's it's really incredible that that the, the kind of eclecticness that he has been able to kind of put out. And, and I mean, like even like like this, the last NERD record um like there's so much stuff on there. Like light, like take the song, like lightning, lightning, fire, magic prayer. Like if you listen to that song, like that's all Pharrell, that's just Pharrell. And like, that song is on fucking believable. Like, I mean, the composition, like writing is just insane. You know, like he just has, and that's just, that's not just one gem. He's got many gems like that throughout, you know? And then I hear, tons of stuff that oh my god the amount of stuff that he has that hasn't come out that is mind-boggling good like it, it's insane he's got hundreds and hundreds of songs that haven't come out that are insanely good incredible really really insane yeah absolutely incredible um okay the 10th and final of the top 10 countdown what is your favorite John of all time? Again, doesn't have to be music, can be absolutely anything, but what is your favorite John of all time, Eric? Oh man. I mean, I think uh I think the thing that brought me to music, the thing that kept me in music, and the thing that led me to sort of leave music and collaboration the way that I have known it is, well, it, it's, it's that it's the intimacy of, of collaboration. And, and when the music industry after spy mob, I started a music company and we're collaborating with corporations and production companies. And that was really rich until it just became like a fast food machine and these days, uh, and John Osby, lead singer of Spy Mob, made this move 10 years ago. And um, I'm a marriage and family therapist these days, because in part because to me, that feeling of collaboration in a close quarters with folks talking about real things in real life, that, that if there's one John in my life, it's that sense of what happens when you get a few people in a room and you share real life and ideas and that mm-hmm. grist that, you know, when people say you became a marriage and family therapist, that's so weird. You used to be a musician. I'm like, that's not weird at all. No, that's you know, when, when you say it like that, that does completely make sense. Like the, the, and that's, 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 that's beautiful because you know, you, you 
it it is like a like directing a piece of music almost like uh and and kind of music of relationships is a very real thing and in spy mob i mean half the time less than half the time we were making music most of the time we were talking about life or talking about you know um, the meaning of the music we were making or a feeling Mm -hmm. that we were having like it's all very related that's Mm -hmm. beautiful uh christian favorite john of all time the truth is eric was so traumatized by being in a band with spy mob that he had to go in the field of therapy you know uh, you know I, I won't say that out loud twig i'll let you say it <laughs> couldn't have been um, further from you the know, truth. I'm, so i'm gonna i uh, i'm gonna keep mine musical and i i want to just uh i i gotta go back to um when i was a uh, teenager and what really kind of got me into music originally was heavy metal so i kind of started in heavy metal and you know what really really knocked my socks off at that really provided me with the juice man was metallica's master of puppets and just got a shout out cliff burton rest in peace because that dude was a freaking nature man he was a beast an absolute beast, beast. yeah he- man fantastic fantastic brent favorite john of all time i got a second like what eric was saying too like i i I agree like i i love that collaboration space and i love that space of just talking and i love the i love philosophy stuff again back to like i'm kind of a nerd for like any of that stuff especially like i think like krishnamurti i think really like nails that stuff it's really extremely deep and tough but like i i just i just love that stuff because i see the relationship of of all of those that kind of deep search for truth i see how the relationship of that intertwines with music in such a it's just it, it, it it parallels i should say music and what we're trying to find in music so much like that search for truth and i think when you when you find that when what people find in music is that that space that extremely present space to to be in when thought kind of moves to the background and and we we come, become very connected with ourselves um and find our true selves you know and i think music and philosophy and it they just go hand in hand on that absolutely you know the the you know talking about collaboration and talking about um philosophy and stuff like that the the idea of you know the vulnerability it takes to be able to create something with someone else um is is where magic comes from to me and the the 100 the harmony of voices and the harmony of emotion and and um, intent, you know, um, and, and sharing that and not just sharing that between, you know, collaborators, but also sharing that with the listener and, you know, the listener taking that in and all, um, that's Mm -hmm. beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful, beautiful answers. Well, we wouldn't be here today without Metallica. We wouldn't be here today without (laughs) spy mob having fostered that Mm -hmm. kind of environment. And John, who couldn't be here today, absolutely, um, was essential component in all of us, you know, having that kind of that space to create. And that just was sort of augmented with Pharrell and Shay and Chad and that collaboration. And so, yeah, 
That's beautiful. So is there, is there a, uh, is there a, a, a future for any more spy mob? Like, do you guys still r- r- play together at all? Do any shows occasionally or. We don't, but we have talked about like, you know, linking and that's, it's definitely something we all want to do. You know, it's it, COVID I think has obviously we we've, we've been talking about a little bit more recently. Just I, I, who knows what it'll be, but I, I know we all like, we, we all like have a deep connection, you know, and a family love for each other. So it's, it's definitely something that is not off the table for, at least for me, for sure. I would love to get together and play with these guys again, you know, the, okay. you, you know, I'm, I'm in, I'm in LA. So here's um, what I propose. Like, here's what I propose. It's 2039 <laughs> new year's Eve. Yes. Hold on, hold on. Listen, <laughs> listen to this new year's Eve, 2039. All right. And we just bust out at midnight at the international lawn bowling championships. Yes. <laughs> We break out 2040 and just hit them, hit them with 2040 live, live from the nursing home, (laughs) (laughs) the nursing homes around the world. That that is beautiful. Um, If anyone (laughs) wants to find uh, any stuff about you guys, what's the best way to um, track each of you down? Like any kind of uh, um, what are you, what are you working on or uh, what, uh, what should people check out? other than the beautiful music you guys have created together as spy mob available on streaming services right now. So I hope people go check that out. Occasionally, you know, our, we do post on our Facebook page, very, very seldom when there is news, but if anyone, you know, has a question or wants to reach us, that's probably a good, a good place to do it. Either that or our Instagram. Um, and yes, of course our music is, very available at on iTunes or your streaming service, your favorite streaming service. It's beautiful <laughs> guys. I can't, I can't, I can't thank you enough for doing this. It means a, a hell of a lot to me because as I said, um, that album, um, is in the in the nate pantheon it's definitely like a top 10 to me of all-time music um it's just so perfect it's it's literally just a perfect perfect album and every chance i can i try to turn somebody onto it who has never like i'm like oh you've never heard oh well come here for a second i got something for you so um i appreciate you gentlemen uh taking the time out of your lives to to do this with me and uh if you have anything else you'd like to impart on these wise listeners who have followed us through this journey this far, uh, what do you got to say? I mean, if you've made it this far, thank you very much. <laughs> yes, yeah, thank man, you. Thanks, thanks for listening, Nathan. It, thanks so much for having us on. It's been an honor. Yeah, thanks, Nathan. Appreciate it, is, it man. There, there is a tight knit, smallish group of folks around the world that have appreciated this record. I think we all look back on the making of of sitting around keeping score and all of our records with a little bit of shit how the fuck did we do that um but i think that's again where that magic of collaboration happens that and you change any one of these components and it just wouldn't have happened that way my many thanks to eric brent and christian 
You can find Spy Mob on Facebook at facebook.com slash spymob and streaming on all of the major streaming services. Like I said at the front of the interview, Sitting Around Keeping Score has been remastered and re-released with three tracks taken from the original sessions. And that album is just fucking brilliant. And I hope you do yourself a favor and check it out. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe to the Yo That's My John podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. And it's never too late to get yourself a super awesome John Scout merit badge for citizenship of the world just by rating and reviewing us. Don't forget to visit www.yothatsmyjohn.com for links to all of the previous episodes of this podcast, articles, and merchandise. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash yo that's my John for updates and live streams. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at yo that's my John and search for yo that's my John on YouTube to find the yo that's my John YouTube channel. And of course, don't let me stop you from liking and subscribing the heck out of that ish. We want to hear from you. Reach out, reach out and touch some John. Man, what an episode. Life is good. The next time you hear from me, I will have flown in the Millennium Falcon. Blue skies. Until next time, everybody. Hey, yo, displace the guilt and embrace the pleasure. Your taste in music doesn't have to be measured. Yo, That's My John is a Lonely Monk production written and produced by yours truly, Nate Runkle. Theme song by Phil Tyler Music featuring Nate 3.0. Special thanks to Fox Run Brands, DX Ferris, Andrew Scott, Natalie Runkle, and the incredibly brilliant and wickedly stunning Katie Daubney. If you or anyone you know has any ideas they would like to share or any guests they would like to hear on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to us at yo that's my John at gmail.com. Or you can leave an audio message for us and possibly hear yourself on a future episode by visiting anchor.fm slash ytmj slash message. Until next time, be sure to displace the guilt and embrace the pleasure and shout to the world, yo, that's my John. <laughs>